welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Hope you brought your swords today. This is your sword. Is this so? Psalm 111 is our first reading this morning. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He's caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Now turn with me please to Galatians in the New Testament. Chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Galatians 5. 16 to 25. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Pete. The microphone. The microphone. That's all right. I got rid of it. That's good. A few months ago, I started my sermon by eating a passion fruit, and it'd be fair to say that I got a very mixed response. Uh, Some people came up and they said they also love passion fruit, and some people were just really annoyed with me because they love passion fruit that much. 
And so I made a really serious vow and a very um, deliberate promise that I would never eat passion fruit in front of you again when I was preaching. But I didn't make a promise that I wouldn't eat my second favorite fruit, uh, which happens to be watermelon. And I don't know if you've noticed recently, but in the shops, there's this weird hybrid kind of watermelon out there. Uh, It's a yellow watermelon. Has anyone seen this? So I thought, because I didn't have breakfast this morning, that I might try this at the start of the sermon and we can critique it together. So let's give this a go. Pretty good. It's that good. I wish I'd have bought enough for everyone now. Has anyone tried this before? It's kind of like the red stuff. It's not quite as tasty, but it's probably more juicy that you've, you've just seen that. Um, does anyone want to try this? Great. Well, it's Safeway just over there after the service. We've cut up some on a plate. So if you want to try a yellow watermelon, which I recommend you do after the service, you can do that today. But fruit is great. And I recommend that you eat lots of fruit to keep healthy. But you know that fruit, with a mouthful, is also very significant in Scripture. Fruit is significant from the very start of the Bible in Genesis all the way through to the very end of the Bible. In fact, fruit is significant in the fall of mankind, but it's even more significant in God's redemption of creation. Let me swallow my mouthful. (laughs) Genesis says that we are created in the image of God. God created us in his image and our role was to worship him and to image him in the way that we cared for the creation that he had provided for us. And so God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings, And he placed them in a garden called the Garden of Eden, and it was literally paradise. They had amazing freedom. They could uh, do whatever they wanted in the garden. They could enjoy God's creation. Uh, It was just an amazing place. They were naked. They didn't even care. It's how we're designed to be. I do not recommend that you do it next weekend, but that's how we were designed to be in the middle. There was no shame uh, in the beginning, no uh, embarrassment. They were completely free. And the most amazing thing about what was happening in the Garden of Eden is that they had uninterrupted, untainted relationship with their creator. They could walk and talk in the garden with him. It was absolutely wonderful. In fact, it's well and truly beyond anything we've ever experienced or will ever experience until Christ returns. Now, if I was to survey the room today and find out where all of you had traveled to in your lifetime, there is a good chance that we've probably covered the globe if we combine us all together. And as we travel around the world, there's no doubt we see some magnificent things in God's creation. Some sights that we see uh, are just absolutely breathtaking. They are awesome. They, they make us go, wow. But the truth is this, that no matter how wonderful creation is, uh, it's only ever a glimpse of the creator. And so if creation is magnificent and wonderful and, and awesome, then how much more is God wonderful and majestic and awesome? Because all creation reflects him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. How do we know there's a God? We'll look out the window. We see God everywhere and he is glorious in what he has created. But the truth is this, that we have never laid our eyes on any part of creation and seen it completely untainted by the effects of sin. Every time, even the most beautiful scene we see is not impacted, uh, whether it's environmentally or socially, by sin. And so we can't even connect or really relate to the blessing that Adam and Eve were living in. No sickness, no pain, no evil, no disease, absolute freedom. And God said to them within this paradise that they could do everything they wanted to do. They could enjoy creation. There was only one condition. 
and the condition was this, that they could eat from every tree in the garden except one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of that one tree, they were not to eat of its fruit because God said if they did, they would surely die. Now that's a pretty good deal. You're literally living in paradise and the only thing you avoid is eating the fruit from one tree. You can eat the fruit from every other tree. It's a pretty good deal. And yet as we read through the creation account, we see that the serpent, the devil, comes into the garden and he convinces both Adam and Eve that God was withholding good things from them. And we know that's not true, don't we? James tells us, don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly Father who does not change like the shifting shadows. He is a generous and gracious God. And yet he convinced Adam and Eve somehow that God was an insecure dictator who only didn't want them to eat from that fruit because if they did, they would become just like him. And so Eve, first of all, took the fruit and ate of it and then she gave it to her useless husband who was standing there like a dingbat doing nothing right next to her and he ate of it as well and at that very moment sin entered God's creation and creation of mankind has been suffering or as the book of Romans puts it has been groaning under the impact of sin ever since I didn't have a great night's sleep last night and I woke up to one of my daughters coughing at about 6.30 And the first thing I did was groaned. This is not how it's meant to be. All creation in a much bigger way is groaning under the impact of sin. It's suffering the consequences of sin. Now you and I are still created in the image of God. But that image is now distorted by sin to the point where we no longer consistently reflect the character or the likeness of God as we should. And so the image of God that we were created in has been tarnished by the impacts of sin. Now the good news of the gospel is this, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, God in human form, came into his own creation. And he came to redeem us and to reverse the effects of sin. And so Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. If you want to know what true humanity should look like, if you want to know what Adam and Eve would have been like before the fall, then have a look at Jesus in the Gospels and you will see mankind as it's meant to be. He reflects the glory of God perfectly. He is God in human form. And Jesus died on the cross. Being perfect, he was the only one qualified to pay for the sins of mankind. And so he stretched out his hands on the cross and he took your sin and he took my sin upon himself and he stretched out his hand, dying in our place, and he said, it is finished. And so in him, when we receive him, literally as Lord and literally as Saviour, the Bible guarantees us that we can experience forgiveness. The Bible says we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ Jesus. And through him, he restores us to what we're meant to be. The Bible also says that when we receive Jesus, we also receive the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're literally receiving God himself. He's not just with us, but he also dwells within us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that as we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are conformed. What are we conformed into? Into his image. 
with ever-increasing glory. The image that was so badly tainted at the fall is now being redeemed and restored in Christ as he helps us through the power of his Holy Spirit to start to represent him as we should. And the evidence of that transformation in our hearts and in our lives, the evidence is what? It's fruit. Fruit was significant at the fall. It's even more significant in redemption as the fruit of the Spirit flows from our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. As we image him through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and as his fruit flows from our lives, we give glimpse, uh, a glimpse to people of what the kingdom of God is actually like and what we're meant to be, and what it will be like in all its completeness when Jesus returns and everything is consummated and restored. And in that way, we become co-workers with God, because now through the Holy Spirit, we once again reflect his image as the Holy Spirit works through us. And that's really what our summer series has been all about, five fruits of summer. So far, we've covered love, joy, peace, patience, and today we're finishing up by looking at faithfulness. There's two things I really want to lay down at the start of this uh, topic of faithfulness this morning. And the first thing is this, that our primary target of faithfulness in life is not to our husbands and wives, even though that's critical. It's not to our boyfriends or girlfriends, our children, our friends, our career, our sporting club. Our primary target of faithfulness is not to any of those things, although they're important at different levels. But our primary target of faithfulness must be to Christ Jesus. And the truth is this, that as we are faithful to him, we'll actually become more faithful in every other area of life. John, the second thing I want to lay down today at the start of this message is that faithfulness is one of those fruits that actually leads to even greater fruitfulness. And that's the title of the message today. As we are faithful to Christ, and as the Holy Spirit transforms us into his image, we will get to know him, we will become more Christ-like, and the end result will be greater fruitfulness. Jesus himself said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so faithfulness is so important, because we, as we are faithful, we reflect God's character to the world, and the character of God is that he is 100% faithful. Peter, this morning, read from Psalm 111. Let me read it to you again this morning. I want you to take note of the language. It's language of incredible faithfulness. It says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The work of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people, ultimately in Christ. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Do you believe that we serve a holy and awesome God this morning? He is faithful in every way. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him 
and keep his commandments. Lamentations chapter 3 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Do you know his mercies and his compassions are new for you this morning? Yesterday might have been a difficult day, but today there are new mercies in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. God is faithful, who has called you into the fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Scripture teaches over and over and over again that God is faithful. But it's not just his word, it's not just his promises that we know that he's faithful. We also know it through our own experiences, don't we? Every day in the little things, in the big things, God proves himself to be faithful over and over again. Just recently I was praying through the book of Psalms and I was up to Psalm 21 and as I was about to pray through that, I... Uh, my eyes were caught to a little note I'd scribbled in my Bible uh, in Psalm 20. And so I looked back over there out of curiosity and I read what the Psalm said. Psalm 20 says these words. It says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we will lift up banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. And I caught my attention caught on that passage and I saw this little note that I'd scribbled and I had a date there. It was the 13th of November 2013 and I had two words written next to it and the two words were these, church plant. You know, in that time of my life, God was laying a burden and a calling on my life to to be part of a church plant in the officer area that would lift up the name of Jesus Christ. They would have an impact in their local community. And today, I stand out here and I look at you, and each of you are a demonstration of God's faithfulness. He has called us together. He has placed us here to be people who are used for his glory in the officer region. And so in the little things, but sometimes also in the big things, God is faithful in our life over and over and over again. And so at the beginning of a new year, we can actually build our lives on that. He's our rock. He promises this year that he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never, ever abandon you. He promises that he will be there in the ups and the downs and the in-betweens. He will be present. And not only will he be present, but he promises that he's a God who's at work and he is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What an incredible, encouraging list of promises at the start of a new year. There's not one second this year, not one second in life, not one circumstance that you will travel alone in. There's not one situation that he will not be faithful in. How do we know it? Because he promises it in his word. It's who he is. It's his character. He is 100% faithful and it's dependent on him and his goodness and not ours. And I don't know about you, but I'm really relieved about that. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, if we are faithless, How often are we faithless? He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What an incredible promise. So when we compare the faithfulness of God, 
faithful in everything, 100% faithful. It becomes pretty clear, you don't have to be Einstein, to realise that in comparison, a lot of our lives, we're unfaithful. King David in Psalm chapter 12, verse 1, cries out in desperation to the Lord, and he says, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Here's a question for you this morning. Since David cried out those words, do you think as a world we've become more faithful? Has it got better since then? Or have we become less faithful? I think just in my lifetime I look at the world around me, I watch the news and it seems to me that faithfulness is becoming less common, not more common. And so it's so important for us to be faithful because as we do, we reflect God's image of faithfulness to the world around us. And the light of that actually permeates through the darkness of unfaithfulness as we present an alternate reality. And so the answer to David's crying out in prayer, where are the faithless, faithful people? The answer should be in the church. That's where they are. They're the people that are different. They have been saved and redeemed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be people who are faithful in life. When we think of the word faithfulness, I think we think often of marriage or relationships. Now, I know of a guy called Sam, and Sam had a crisis in his life. The crisis Sam had in his life is that he liked eight different women. Sam couldn't make up his mind which woman he actually liked. If you're a man here today, you'll know it's hard enough to please one woman, um, you know, let alone eight. Does my butt look big in this? You've got to answer that question eight times. That's really awkward. But it's hard enough to lay your life down for one person. It's hard enough to sacrifice for one person. It's hard enough to love someone unconditionally when it's one person. But Sam had eight. Eight women. He's dating them all trying to work it out. He's kissing them all. He's giving flowers to some. He's even sleeping with some. What do we think of Sam? As Christian men and women, do we say Sam's a great guy? He's doing the right thing? No, we think it's abhorrent. We can't believe that someone could could treat women like that, to objectify women in that way. We can't believe that he could be so unfaithful. Intrinsically, we know it's incredibly wrong, and yet society does not think it's wrong. In fact, they celebrate Sam and we call it The Bachelor. <laughs> we call it The Bachelor. It's starting in a couple of weeks. Many of, uh, of people maybe even here are going to watch The Bachelor. And I'm not here today to condemn or convict you because I'm a really lousy Holy Spirit and I just got to allow him to do what he needs to do in that space. But what I am saying is this, that if we immerse ourselves in popular culture more than we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, we're going to have big troubles with faithfulness big trouble. We're called to be different. This week I did some research on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And I look back, it started in 2002 and all the way through to 2014, I read as a result of this show, we have four successful marriages. Praise God. Four people got married. Eight people got married. Four couples. It's wonderful. In the same time, we have 25 failed relationships. You do the maths, that's 50 people. Broken, damaged, hurt people, but we go, isn't it sweet? Isn't it romantic? Isn't it awesome? Look at the love they've got. Well, is it love or is it lust? You see, we have a different idea of what love and faithfulness looks like. We have a problem with faithfulness. From 1910 to 1920, the average in every year in that decade was three to 400 divorces in Australia. 1975, that peaked at over 60,000 divorces 
in Australia alone. We've got so much better since then, 2014, only 46,498 divorces. Not really something worth celebrating, is it? It's pretty clear we've got a crisis when it comes to faithfulness in our marriages and yet most of those 46,498 people would have got up on their wedding day and said things like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to the exclusion of all others, I will unconditionally love you voluntarily for life. Can you imagine if next weekend you asked to a wedding? You went to the wedding and the bride and groom were up there about to make their vows. And one of them said, I want to make my vows to my partner. And they got up and they said, as long as everything is smooth sailing, as long as every morning I wake up and roll over in bed and look at you with that dewy, mushy, lovey-dovey feeling, go, oh, aren't you awesome? As long as I have that for every day for the rest of my life, then count me in. And while we're talking about vows, let's talk about finance. If your finance stays the same or it increases and you have enough to provide for me and I can have everything I need and I can have the house and the boat and the car and the credit cards and, and everything is financially secure, then if, if you can guarantee that to me, uh, uh, then I'll stay around. But if not, I can't guarantee that I'll stick around. And I thought today on our wedding day, it's important that you know that. <laughs> and while we're talking about it, whatever you do, do not get sick. I just can't handle <laughs> sick people. If you get sick... Mate, I'm out. I'm out. And I'm not just talking about physical sickness. I mean, if you put on a few kilos, I mean, if you have kids and you put on some kilos or, or your hair goes grey or you get some wrinkles and all of a sudden the secretary at work looks more attractive to me now, then I can't guarantee I'm not going to nick off with her or him and, and we're going to live our lives together. Can you imagine if someone got up and gave those vows? We would go, that is madness. It's ludicrous. It's not going to work. And yet so many people live out their marriages like that. I met a young girl a few years ago and she was two weeks out from getting married. I said to her, wow, congratulations. You must be so excited. I'll never forget the words she said back to me. She looked at me and she said, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I thought, I can tell you how it's going to go. It's not going to work. Because if you're going with that attitude, it's not going to work. Marriage is at times hard work. Relationships take work. Faithfulness is not always easy. And this morning, I'm not here to condemn people. If you've gone through divorce, I've journeyed with people who've been through divorce and I've seen the pain of it. It's incredibly painful. There are all sorts of reasons why people get divorced. And one of the things I love about the gospel is that in Christ we can be restored, we can be forgiven through repentance and we can come back to him restored and renewed. And I love that about Jesus. But I want to talk to you today if you are going through a struggle in any relationship in your life right now. What I want to say is this. That God can give you everything you need to be faithful. Because faithful is not something that we have to conjure up in our own strength. None of us can be faithful naturally. We're sinful human beings. But faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we can have everything we need to be faithful. The second group of people I want to talk to today are those that, that know people that are struggling in their marriages right now. Maybe they're coming to you for advice. I'm not talking about people who are struggling with severe domestic abuse or consistent unfaithfulness, unrepentant unfaithfulness. There are times in, in marriages when sometimes we need to get out at least till it can be redeemed for our own safety. I'm not talking about the extreme end of the, the spectrum. I'm talking about when people come to us and they're struggling with the everyday things of marriage. We've grown apart. We've fallen out of love. We're struggling with our finances. We're not talking. We're narky with each other. 
Let me say that if people come to us in those situations, if our advice is anything else but fight for your marriage with the power of the Holy Spirit, then we're giving them the wrong advice. I've heard some shocking advice over the years coming from Christian people. Oh, if that other person makes you feel better, if you can be yourself, then it's okay to leave your family. You deserve better. Maybe you married the wrong person. Maybe they don't make enough money. Should you really marry them? I don't believe marriage is really for life. This is advice I've heard coming from Christian people. Let me tell you, it's shocking advice. And it's more in line with an episode of The Bachelor than it is with God's Word. Church, if we don't have God's Word, we've got nothing. If we don't stand on the Word of God, we've got nothing. If we're going to ride the societal wave of opinion and values in the world around us, our opinion will be different in five minutes and five years and ten years and twenty years. It'll be unrecognisable. But the good news is this, that we don't have to ride that wave because we've been given the rock. God's Word, we can stand on God's Word. He's the same God yesterday, today, forever. His Word is never outdated. It's never irrelevant. And so we can stand on the Word and we need to make sure when we're giving advice and and when we're living our lives that it lines up with the Word of God. I've got no advice for you of any value if I don't have the Word. We need to come back to the Word of God. Just last week, Kim and I watched a movie about Mount Everest. And it got me thinking about mountain climbing. I'm not going to climb Mount Everest, don't panic. But it got me thinking about mountain climbing. And I can almost guarantee you that every person who has climbed Mount Everest has never looked at that mountain and said, this is going to be a blast. This is going to be so easy. It's going to be a breeze. It's going to be so much fun. Hypothermia, yes, can't wait. I'm going to try and lose some toes and some fingers. My nose going to fall off the end of my face. This is going to be a blast. I can't wait. No one in their right mind would say that. People who climb that mountain go in with their eyes wide open. They know it'll be a life-changing experience. They know there'll be some incredible highs, literally. But they know that it's going to be really tough at times as well. That it will be a very, very difficult journey. But they'll also tell you that when they get to the top of that mountain, the the feeling, the achievement of, of seeing the view they see up there, literally at the top of the world, is incredible something they'd never forget. They'd say everything they've gone through is worth it. And as they go down the other side of the mountain and they get down back to their friends and family, they will tell you that it was a life-changing experience that they didn't regret for one second. So why is it in our relationships when we get to a mountain? Sometimes we don't even get to a mountain, we get to a speed bump. And we go, oh, it's just too hard. Can you imagine this week driving your car? You come up to a speed bump and you go, "Ah, what am I going to do? I can't do it. It's too hard. Open the door, you get out, you shut it. I give up and you walk away. People behind you, you bipping their horn going, you're an idiot. You've got the vehicle, you've got the power to get over the speed bump, get back in the car and do it. Church is the same for us. We have the vehicle, we have the power, we have God Almighty, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and it doesn't matter what mountain, what speed bump, what hurdle we face, God is bigger than all of it. And with God's help and with his power, we can be faithful in every circumstance of life. Kim and I are blessed to have a wonderful marriage. But it hasn't always been easy. Remember, the first couple of years was actually quite rocky. I was struggling with the maturity of being married and what it looks like to sacrifice and love one another unconditionally. I remember it was rocky at times, and there's been other times in our life when we've gone through really difficult seasons together. And there's been doubts, and there's been fears. But I can honestly tell you that I love my wife more today than I did the day I married her. And the reason I did has got so much to do, the reason I do has got so much to do with 
the trials and the pressures and the stuff. Because in the midst of that, you see the character. You see the commitment. You see the unconditional love. You see the growth. You see the faithfulness. And you go, wow, I'm so blessed to have a woman like that. I love my wife more today than the day I married her because of the things that we've been through. But so many people miss the joy of that. They never see it because they jump out at the first speed bump or the first hurdle. Church, don't rob yourself of the joy that awaits you on the other side of faithfulness. Let me say that again. Don't rob yourself of the joy, the immense joy that waits on the other side of your faithfulness. This morning, if you're here and you're a single person or a person who's young, you might be thinking, why am I talking about marriage so much? This isn't isn't relevant for me. What's in this for me? Well, I want to tell you it's relevant for two reasons. Number one, one day you will potentially get married and this will be really good stuff out of the word for when you do and it's good preparation as you wait. But the second reason that it's incredibly eternally relevant is that it's the analogy that scripture uses when it talks about our relationship with Christ. It says we are the bride of Christ. And it would be fair to say, if that is true, and I believe it is, that there is a marriage crisis going on, and it's so often between Christ and us, unfaithfulness is running riot. But I want to tell you that people say there's always truth on both sides of the coin. In this situation, there's no truth over there. God is 100% faithful. And when there's unfaithfulness, it's 100% on us, not on him. So often we turn our backs on Christ because there are other lovers that appeal to us. The things of this world are so alluring and so tempting and they call out to us and they promise things that they can never actually deliver. Sin crouches at the door. We have a real enemy who has come to steal, kill and destroy and his number one aim is to get us to turn our backs on Jesus, to take our eyes off Christ and put them on anything else but him. We're so easily deceived by the wrong perception of true value and worth. A number of years ago, I was talking to a psychologist and she was talking about the issue of adultery. Sorry, adultery. So many different words. Adultery. She was talking about adultery and she said, the problem with adultery is this, that people get married and they enter a covenant relationship where they're meant to love and sacrifice for that person for life. But after the honeymoon period, they start to take slowly, uh, bit by bit, take their partner for granted. It's so easy for us to do and so important that we always remember why we're so grateful for our husband or our wife. But we often take them for granted and over a period of time we meet some other people and and we might meet someone else who, who seems so attractive because they do or say things that your husband or wife don't. And so we start to fall for the lie of the devil that the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe this person can do for me what my husband or wife never could. And so uh, inevitably people uh, leave that covenant relationship, they turn their back on their family and they pursue a relationship with this new exciting person and they once again enter a honeymoon period. And after a period of time, the honeymoon period wears off and they start to see some of the imperfections and what they end up realising is that the 20% that that person had that their husband or wife didn't have, they don't actually have the 80% that their husband and wife did have And that's why the second relationship so often doesn't work because instead of having an 80 percenter that you can work through stuff with, you now have a 20 percenter and that's just not going to work. It's so often the same with Christ and us. We doubt God's faithfulness and the things of this world seem so attractive. Maybe they can provide what I'm really looking for. So we look for fulfillment in career. 
financial security and wealth. We're tempted by the pleasures this world offers. We're besotted with earthly relationships with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. And the problem is this, that all of them will ultimately betray. Because we were not created to worship any of those things. They are a gift from God, but we're not created to worship them. We're created to worship our Creator. And it's in Him that we will find lasting joy. It's in Him we will find eternal peace. It's in Him we will find purpose and meaning for for life. And if we try and find it anything else, we're going to squander the opportunities we've been given in this life. See, the real danger, church, is this, that eternally speaking, we could end up with a zero percenter when what's being offered in Christ is a hundred percent. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In the words of the great hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. To the church in Ephesus, Jesus said, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Church, if only our eyes could be opened to how glorious and magnificent he really is. The things of the life of this life would truly become more dim if we could really see Jesus for who he is. He is magnificent. He is our greatest treasure. He is our everlasting peace. He is the Lord of Lords. It's through him and in him and, and for him that all things have been created and find meaning and purpose and direction. He is the number one thing. If we were to lose everything in life, absolutely everything, the one thing we need to hold on is to Christ Jesus. And so what do we do? Well, in a marriage that's struggling, we find a counsellor, don't we? The Bible says we've been given the greatest counsellor ever. His name's the Holy Spirit. And his role is to point us back to our first love, to keep us focused on Jesus. He will point us back to him. He will conform us into his image, the image that was so badly tarnished at the fall. We have been and will be redeemed by Christ. As we are conformed into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will flow from our lives naturally and we will participate in God's redemptive purpose, showing the world around us what relationship looks like in his kingdom. In that process, we will become the bride that we are called to be. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. This is us it's talking about, cleansing us, by the washing with water through the word and to present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. This is talking about the transformation that should be happening in our hearts in Christ. Church, with his help, we can be faithful. Faithful in our earthly relationships, our friendships, our marriages, faithful to the word of God, faithful in prayer, faithful in imaging God to the world around us, faithful in sharing the gospel, faithful in serving our community, faithful in our workplaces, faithful in regularly gathering together, not giving up on that as some are in the habit of doing, faithful in giving, faithful in service, faithful with our kids, faithful in the ways that we love one another, showing ourselves to be his disciples, but most of all, faithful to Christ our bridegroom. Why? Because we're created in his image. And he is faithful. And we've been given the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed back into his image. As we grow in faithfulness, this year could be an unprecedented year in terms of fruitfulness in and through our lives for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for 
the fact that you are faithful. You're faithful in all areas of life. Lord, where we are faithless, you are faithful. And today we want to say thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would help us in the times when we attempted to be unfaithful, to turn back to you. Lord, may we be guided by your word. May we be empowered by your spirit. May we turn to nothing else except the truth of what you have given us. And Lord, as we are faithful people, Lord, I pray that your character would be screamed from the mountaintops in our world that your character would be something that permeates as light through the darkness. Lord, I pray that when people cry out, where are the faithful people, that they would look to those in the church, those who've been saved, those who have been redeemed, because we are to reflect your character. As the fruit flows from our life, Lord, I pray that you would use it to impact people's hearts for your glory. This morning, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I've talked about the, the incredible privilege of being in a relationship with Christ. And it's in him that we find our hope and our future and our fulfillment and our joy and our uh, everything else that we need in life. Today, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you've got no confidence in what happens uh, once you leave this earth, no confidence in eternity, I want to give you an opportunity today to give your life to the Lord Jesus and start what is the most exciting journey you can ever be on. And so while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if that's you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to lift your hand. At the end of this service, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk through this with you. And I'd love you to get started on this journey. And so while every head is bowed, is there anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus? You don't have that confidence and hope. But today you'd like to start that journey. Just lift your hand now. God's work in your heart today and you're not ready yet to receive him but you want to talk more about it, please come and see me after the service. There's also prayer available today um, after the service. So if you need prayer for this or for anything else in life, there'll be a prayer team down the front. So please come and see them. And uh, I really hope and pray that we can be people that reflect the image of God in faithfulness in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.